Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Kirk Jowers, and I am thrilled to welcome uh, Governor Ambassador John and Mary Kay Huntsman in studio with me. It's so great to see them. I was able to be with them a little bit on Wednesday as well, and having them back in Utah just makes fall seem that much better. Thanks for being here, you Kirk, you, you've gone big time. I can't believe it. <laughs> big time, Kirk, be, behind the behind the microphone in this big time studio that I used to frequent as governor because uh, uh, Doug Wright uh, used to have a show that I used to refer to as Let Me Harass a Governor. <laughs> and you come in here and you get calls from all over the state, and I loved it. It was terrific. I, I listened to most of your show. Well, I don't know for most, but I listened to a lot of those shows, and uh, and those were fantastic. Now, John, I, as you know, I have a, a million questions for you, but I'm so excited to have Mary Kay here. And I kind of feel like uh, I, I know her a little bit better over these last two years because I've been following her Instagram and it's been kind of amazing for you me. You and the rest of the world. <laughs> great to be with you, Kurt. Mary Kay, it's so Thank great you. to have you here. Um, and I've thought about you a lot, um, Mary Kay, John some a little bit too. But um, <laughs> but from the— Be honest, Kirk. Be honest, Kirk. <laughs> but from—you've uh, you, always been so good to Kristen and me and our family, and I think back to when Luke, who was captain of the football team, blew his knee out and he had offers and, and stuff and was dealing with that, and, and your son Will, who actually did go on and, and, and played for Navy, but Will out of nowhere, you know, called and— and really was a, a support for Luke. So anyway, your family just does a lot of nice things no one knows about. And uh, so as I followed your Instagram, I, three things really showed to me. Your love of family, country, and your dogs, which are mm. probably my top three favorites, too. <laughs> my top three loves. Uh, but I want to ask you a little bit about what was Moscow like for you? John obviously is dealing with all sorts of stuff we might get to if it's not classified. But... But you were living a life in this great but kind of intimidating city. What was it like for you? Uh, first of all, it's great to be with you, Kirk. It was um, it was a very interesting couple of years. And uh, as I said the other night when we were talking, uh, it really was like sweet of the uses of adversity because there were so many sweet moments that we had, as I've shared many of them on Instagram, and a lot of moments filled with adversity as well, which I also shared on Instagram. Um, you're, you get every single emotion is felt um, in a position like this, especially when you're dealing with a difficult uh, relationship with um, the country that you're serving. Um, but it was really um, a very quality couple of years, and... Um, and uh, we went through – the adversity, I think, brings you closer. As a family, it brought us closer as an embassy family as well. Um, of course, the 60 diplomats that were expelled uh, not too long after we got there with their families and their dogs and their cats. And that was a very difficult moment and a hard moment to watch my husband have to tell these 
diplomats that they were having to, to leave within seven days. Of course, the death of John's father, John Sr., was very hard. He had his last conversation with his dad at our home uh, in Russia, and we tried to get back as fast as we could and made it uh, 10 minutes before he um, passed away. We actually got a call driving up South Temple that uh, he had just passed. So that was very difficult. We lost our little dog while we were over there um, that I had put on Instagram a few times, and um, that was difficult. We, we left him buried there um, at Spasso House. And uh, having two boys deployed, uh, we had uh, five new grandchildren while we were in <laughs> Moscow, and two of them, John, was not able to leave uh, because of things that were happening uh, at the post at the time. So I'm not sure he's been forgiven for that yet. <laughs> uh, but there was a lot of things. So Sweetie, the use of adversity <laughs> really is about the only way I can describe it um, with the way that we felt those last two years. Five grandchildren and one on one the way. One coming in the next, in the next two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. So amazing. Um, John, it was obviously a, a huge sacrifice and honor to serve your country in the two most critical countries on earth for the United States. Um, and even more amazing, I think this is something that people will learn about 100 years from now in diplomatic circles. You served under two very different presidents, in President Obama and President Trump. I'd love to know the approach of the two administrations in considering you and asking you to do it, your meetings with the two presidents. Can you let us in on that at all? Uh, sure, sure, Kirk. First, let me tell you how proud I am of Mary Kay. Um, just listening to her talk about our experiences and how she put it all so eloquently and via pictures uh, on Instagram. I, I marveled at the value the United States got from her as an unpaid diplomat. I think she was the most valuable secret weapon that uh, the United States had in, in Russia uh, and beyond. And it was such a pleasure to be with her. And she talks about sweet are the uses of adversity. I think that that really does uh, summarize pretty well. Uh, that those are also the words from from uh, William Shakespeare uh, on my grandmother's grave in, in Fillmore. Uh, and I'm reminded of that in a whole lot of ways when Mary Kay brings that up. But um, your, your, your kind of comment on, on two posts that we've had, um, you know, and, and we served in Singapore uh, many years before that. Um, you, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing when you find yourself in the Oval Office of the White House and you have a president of the United States who looks at you and, and says your country needs you. Yeah. I was raised with the idea. I was born in the Navy, you know. <laughs> my mom still complains that you know she paid twenty five bucks for me on the GI Bill, and you know, that <laughs> that that was that. And now we've got our sons in the Navy, you know, and they're going to be you know dealing with the GI Bill in time. But um, you, you know, we, we were raised with the notion that service is first and foremost the price that we pay uh, as uh, citizens of this great country. And uh, when you have a president, whether a Republican or a Democrat, who says your country needs you, for some reason that strikes me as being about the most important call to action you, you, you can have. Uh, was it bittersweet? Was it a difficult decision to make in both cases? No question about it. Uh, but I did, and Mary Kay and I did, what we thought was consistent with our, with our core values of service. And... Uh, it, I mean, try it sometime, uh, Kirk, you know, <laughs> if, if ever you're in that situation and you have a president who says that uh, that uh, that your your country needs you and you step up and you do it. And yet does it come with pain uh, and and sacrifice 
and uh, a lot of slings and arrows coming your way uh, on both sides of the political sp- Of course it does. Yeah. But do I want to go to my grave having said that, no, we turned down presidents, and when our country asked to serve, we said, no, we have more selfish motives and other things to do? No, I just don't think that's right. Uh, it was particularly complicated when we were serving here as governor because it, it then you know becomes a responsibility uh, of communicating uh, this new ask to the people who have elected you, the people you love and admire most and respect most. That becomes really tough to do, and uh, you have to deal with that. And I dealt with it for a long time, and I still do. I look back on that, and you always say, <laughs> was that the right thing to do? You can't go back and relive it, but uh, I, I did what, what my core values of service and what Mary Kay, what we together decided was the right thing to do. And then you launch forth and you do your best to serve your country. And what we found, and Mary Kay was hinting to this a little bit, Kirk, is you find a Team America serving overseas. Now, I know that in the service, the men and women who are overseas, they experience Team America. That is people of diverse backgrounds, different neighborhoods, different states, different points of view, different religions coming together to serve one common cause, a flag on their shirt, the United States of America. And they're all in it together. Um, in a in a when you're behind enemy lines, in, in, so to speak, in in an embassy, uh, right. large and complicated, very operational, you're Team America, and we'd sit around a country team table, and there you would have men and women, all walks of life. I didn't know who was Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Vegetarian. Everyone just came together to serve the country, and you wish you could bottle that up and show it to every American because they'd be so proud of what their public servants do in very difficult circumstances. And I want to ask you a little bit more about that. And so I'm grateful that you are going to stay for another segment here on Inside Sources. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your guest host, Kirk Jowers, and thrilled to have. Uh, John Huntsman and Mary Kay Huntsman in the studio with me. Um, Mary Kay touched on it briefly. um, And John, you were talking about some of these amazing people. I cannot think of a more trying way uh, to start your time in Russia than what you experienced as you came in there. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the Russian embassy what uh, politics forced you to do uh, in, in organizing that uh, embassy and, and, and the staff and everything else? Well, first of all, you have to look at it from, from an historic standpoint. When was the last time a United States embassy was ransacked to the extent that ours was short of all-out war? Never. Never. I can't think of the last time, even well into the Cold War, where uh, the U.S. embassy in Moscow, which is a large complex, uh, complete with three consulates in Vladivostok, uh, Ekaterinburg and St. Petersburg, uh, where you had 70% of the staff. Now, remember, this was one of the largest embassies in the world, probably had 1,500 people between diplomats, military, intelligence, uh, uh, people-to-people diplomacy, and, and just management folks. 
Compare real quick for me. China would be the only so, one I could think yeah, would China's, compete with it. China's well over 2,000 now, and okay. it's uh, probably the largest we have in the world. Huh. Mexico's pretty big, too. It's a border, it's a border state. Right. Uh, and so when you get a 70 – so Vla- Vladimir Putin, uh, bless his heart, uh, decided yeah. that uh, in retaliation for what we had done after his meddling in the 2016 election, that uh, he would <clears throat> he would effectively cut us – substantially and put a cap on the number of personnel that would be equal to the number that they have here in the United States, including their U.N. mission. And that meant a 70 percent reduction in force uh, at a time when our workload and the requests coming in for, you know, assignments of various kinds and reporting of various kinds and uh, negotiations of various kinds was ramping up. So, you know, it's good old management. It's like, you know, when you manage a state or you manage your business uh, or you manage How your, fast did you have to cut 70% of your staff? That was, that was, uh, that was in, instantly. Instant. Instantly. And it was not long after that that uh, because we had kicked out a number of intelligence operatives from uh, the United States that the Russians had. Again, in response to one, some of their uh, uh, malign activities, this was the poisoning of Sergei Skripal. Uh, who was a former uh, KGB spy living in the UK. He and his daughter, Yulia, were out for a walk, and, of course, they got uh, poisoned. And uh, uh, they survived miraculously, but a couple others died later on when the poison was found in a trash bin in Salisbury, UK. Uh, So the the world came together and basically booted out a lot of intelligence operatives from there. About 29 countries did. We booted out a whole bunch from the United States, they then returned fire and kicked out 60 of our senior diplomats and families. These are the highest trained diplomats and specialists in the Russian language, regional studies. They've dedicated their entire lives to it. Uh-huh. So when you're, when you're expelled from a country, when you're in the diplomatic language, when you're PNG'd, yeah. you can never return. Wow. And they gave them a week uh, to, to leave. So uh-huh. we got hit twice. And... You know, this is what militaries are supposed to do. You're, you know, battleships are supposed to sink each other at a time of difficulty in war. You know, diplomatic outposts are not supposed to fire at each other and uh, and reduce forces. Well, we, that makes me ask you because I, I'm fascinated with Putin. And on Wednesday, um, you, you gave me a little taste of your understanding of the man. Could you tell me what what you know of him now that you've spent some time with him? And I'm fascinated, 2024, he's supposedly stepping down. Will he? And what will be next for Russia well, if he it's, does? It, it's interesting. He's, uh, I guess I probably spent more time with him than any American around today. Right. Um, he's, uh, he's at heart an intelligence operative. That's his education, his training, his upbringing. He served in East Germany after he was in St. Petersburg, after he went to, to, uh, to school in St. Petersburg. He returned to help the St. Petersburg city government after uh, they went through the 91 transition from communism to the rise of the Russian Federation. And uh, he runs his country as if it's uh, one intelligence shop. Uh, yeah. the, the institutions that rule really are, you know, the security services. He himself is about as shrewd an operator as I've ever seen. Um, he's unassuming. Uh, he's short. Uh, he, you can barely hear him sometimes at the negotiating yeah. table. Uh, he has laser-like penetration in terms of what he's after and what he's out to get. Uh, that that sometimes that appearance can belie uh, a shrewdness that is born of twenty years in the job. He's seen every president come and go. He knows every trick in the book, and he knows exactly what he wants to do with the Russian Federation. He wants to make it stand tall. He wants it respected. He wants uh, he wants its mojo back. Yeah. And uh, so Putinism is now the flavor of the year. 
and will be until he steps down in 2024. And Kirk, you, you said it right. Constitutionally, he has to leave in 2024. So there's speculation that maybe they'll create some holding tank, whether it's a supercharged National Security Council that he would share or maybe a federation with Belarus uh, that uh, that he would become some, you know, a head of state overseeing. I'm not so sure that's going to happen. He's uh. he's tired. Um, I, he, you know, he's got a lot of money uh, from uh, the corruption that exists there. And at some point, he's going to want to leave the stage. And in order to leave the stage, he's going to have to find his own Putin to do to him what he was able to do to Boris Yeltsin yeah. uh, exactly 20 years ago. And that is uh, make sure they're not imprisoned. Uh, protect their net worth and their family members. That's how autocratic, even in China, that's how they operate. That's exactly how one leader, you know, goes from, you know, power uh, to retirement. Do you have any idea who the next Putin will be? It's not, you know, you were in China and uh, there you can pretty well predict it. It's it's got this structure, but Russia's chaotic. They're, they're, the the system in China is is stable and solid. Um, the party apparatus and the feeder system within the party. You've got 80 million members of the Chinese Communist Party. So far as I could tell, there is no such structure in Russia. There's no feeder system. The Russia United Party, which is Putin's party, is is a big nothing burger. Uh-huh. And uh, and nor has he uh, given uh, uh, any any real effort toward at least optically toward cultivating leaders who could. Uh, uh, replace him. That's just the way he operates. Whatever he's doing is an extreme secrecy. Uh, and if you were to ask the top analysts and intelligence agencies in the world, they wouldn't be able to tell you who likely is to. Rep- Nobody knows. So I think he takes it down to the wire. But right now there's a lot of buzz in Moscow and there's a lot of speculation about what comes next. So I think we're entering a really uncertain period in Russia right now. And it's all about succession politics because Putinism will disappear. And when Putinism disappear disappears, the whole system of governance and management, the system of spoils, where you pay off the oligarchs to keep them happy. Only one person can do that right now. If anyone else tried to step in, there'd be mass chaos. And and that's exactly what they're looking at right now is a change in that very spoils system. And uh, so that envisions after 2024, a different structure of governance, different priorities, Russia looking at the world a little differently and the rest of the world looking at Russia probably a little differently. Amazingly, we only have about two minutes uh, left, but don't despair. Um, uh, John and Mary Kay are going to be with Doug Wright uh, about this time on Tuesday, and and we'll get into some things. So this isn't all. I I would have liked to have kept you for my whole two and a half hours. But uh, Mary Kay, I've lived outside of Utah uh, at times throughout my life, um, and it really makes me love Utah even more. When I was in D.C. and Boston— you're you're back. It's such a unique and wonderful state. Um, what did you miss most about Utah uh, while you were in while you were in Moscow? Oh, obviously the fresh air and the uh, the mountains and family. My my parents. Um, my dad just turned eighty eight. My mother's eighty seven, and I miss them dearly while we were gone. And and uh, John's sweet mother that's here and family and you know it is all about family. And that's one thing I found being over there and. And uh, feeling every day that that family was everything, and uh, you notice it even more. Every every moment you spend with a child or a parent becomes just such quality time, uh, because we don't get uh, the quantity time uh, very often. And so I think you grow to appreciate that more than anything in the world. Well, and and 
I, one thing that I've been impressed with both of you forever is you've you've taken on these these very challenging roles, um, and, and I do not minimize at all that it must have been perhaps even more difficult for you, Mary Kay. I don't know what it would be like to be the ambassador's wife in two such challenging countries for the United States politically. It has to be isolating at times. But also, your family is doing amazing things. You have two sons deployed in the Navy. You've got a daughter who's a major uh, TV personality, talent. Um, I really enjoy watching her. A world-class pianist. I can go on and on, all these grandchildren. Real quick as we finish up, what was the secret of, of keeping everyone close, even though everyone's doing such different things in such faraway places? Uh, I think think as John says, you you see things that kids are doing and people can say, well, wow, you know, watching this or that. But the failures that go into making, as you know, Kirk, as you look, raise an incredible family. I've watched your family grow up and (laughs) and you don't hear sometimes about the failures that took them to where they are today. And I think um, as parents, I mean, John and I just, you know, look back on where they are, what they're doing, and how they got to where they are. But it honestly, was through a lot of mistakes along the way. And uh, we've just always stayed very close as a family. I think living overseas a few times with them has been a great thing for them. Uh, I think, again, being away, we felt like we touched base with them even more being in Russia because we Skyped and FaceTimed like almost every single day. Uh, oh. We would touch base with each one of our children. If we missed a day, they would say, where are you? Why We haven't we haven't heard from you. And that <laughs> oh, was especially really when nice. you're in Russia. That's probably when you're a in good Russia. question. Yeah, good question. That's true. But uh, I would have to say we all grew very close together through that. And um, you sometimes you go through those hard moments, uh, which we certainly did. Well, but I'm on serious probation, Kirk, I have to tell you, having missed <laughs> yeah. a couple of births of that, grandkids. That I'm on serious probation. I don't know how I'm going to get out. You know, <laughs> It's going to take a lot of work on my part. But Well, next on Tuesday, Doug's going to pursue a little bit of that with you, I'm sure, and, and what the future holds for the both of you. But um, I just can't appreciate more that you, you came into the studio to be with me. I love seeing you. I love knowing that every text or Instagram message I sent won't be read directly by Putin. And so... Thank you for being here. It's so great to have you Thanks, back. Thanks, Kirk. What a Thanks pleasure so to be with you. Thanks.